morning. <laughs> Look at that psychedelic guitar you have. Do -do 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 -do. Yeah, boy, is that really great. Okay, I want you to tell me the story of that, but I also want to introduce you because I'm so excited to have the professor of guitar and music production and engineering at the Berkeley College of Music. It's Lauren Passarelli. Hello, good morning. Dr. Richard, hello, hello. And the, the hip thing is also that I'm excited to talk to you about is that you're a Beatles expert. And since I've worked with Paul and we can, we can talk Beatles things too, which would be really good. I would love that. I want to know some certain things about guitar sounds and I know you know the answer. For the audience out there in Radio Richard, uh, Lauren is a great singer songwriter and I've asked her to play a couple of her tunes today. So I thought maybe you'd start us out with something if you wouldn't mind. Sure. Well, you know, I had this uh, little tune pop out one day while I was wishing I could make my cousin healthy. Nice. <laughs> she was having a, a, a health issue, and uh, I realized as I was playing it, it was soothing me. And I thought, you know, I should send this to her. In fact, I should call it Song for Susan. And I should actually notate this because I'll never remember how to play it. <laughs> and it's coming out like a little chord solo kind of a thing. Nice. So a lot of my students really enjoy it because it's an open position and it's one of their first experiences of understanding that the guitar can play more than one note at the same time. <laughs> a very cool revelation. <laughs> yeah. So this is Song for Susan. Absolutely beautiful. And I might add, I, I expected no less, the guitar sound is absolutely beautiful too. Oh, thanks. It really sounds great. And it's it's so nice to hear somebody who can actually play the thing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I love that you threw in the four minor, the very Beatle-ish four minor, because that's a big quality of Beatles songs is they love four minor. Beautiful, wonderful, lovely um song for susan and now now i need to hear the story of your guitar because it's it's i mean did you do the paint job i did i did this is my 1974 off-white strat that i couldn't wait to have because of george harrison's off-white strat in the concert for bangladesh uh -huh. i actually thought his was pure white but under the 
stage lights it looks white under uh you know regular light you could tell it was off white but over the years from all the clothes and colors i would wear uh, it started to change all kinds of colors so i completely stripped it and made it natural wood and stained it and then in 2001 it was just too sad when i knew he was very very ill Uh, Mm. i tried to paint similar paint job to his magical mystery guitar rocky Uh uh-huh just kind of started off with some of those ideas and went crazy doing it myself because he did his himself. Really? Well, you know, I would be afraid to do anything like that because I wouldn't know what I was doing, but you do know what you're doing. And I mean, do, do you have to use, I mean, obviously you need special paint and then do you cover it with some kind of a protective lacquer or something? Well, I think a real painter might have or ah. a guitar finishing person, but mine has a lot of actual levels. You can feel the layers of paint and um some people argue it was not the thing to do to a 74 strap but Hmm. (laughs) since this is a very cool in fact i've never found a strap with a thinner neck like this is a very small c or d neck yeah but you know most guitars that fit me uh, perfectly because of this little distance here between the thumb and first finger uh-huh. One and eleven sixteenths is my max. Well, this right. guitar is one and six sixteenths at the nut. That is a very tiny neck. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I I find that whole fascination of 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 how big guitar necks. I mean, you can see I've got a couple of guys sitting here, but I've got I've got this new Sire Larry Carlton model guitar, which I it is just wonderful, but it's the smallest neck I've ever played in my life. I had no idea that 335s had that small of a neck because I've never played one. What width is a nut? Well, you know, see, now you're technical. You could tell me the exact thing. I don't know. I just <laughs> it's, it's small. Yeah, that's great. You know? and, so and, and there's certain things I can't get, so I have to, uh, you know, adapt my my playing style. I'm so glad that we I get to be a guitar nerd for, for you know, a while because usually <laughs> I talk to people who don't don't care and don't know. But now <laughs> I get to talk to Lauren. And in fact, while you were telling me about that guitar a couple months ago, um, yeah. I had happened to get a, a couple of uh, interesting guitars off of eBay called Wolf Guitars, W-O-L-F. And I had never Oh, heard of did you find that? Well, I liked the color of one because I'm very partial to blue. And uh, this other one was a nice double cutaway. And they were so inexpensive, I thought, I'll just get both. Let me just see what they're like. Because most guitars I want to try aren't available in the shops. So Mm -hmm. I try a lot of things out online and just see what I like about them or whatever. And Mm -hmm. I was so amazed because the store actually said, well, how would you like this set up? What kind of gauge strings would you like on it? And what string height would you like? What? You know, like I never had a company uh, buy buy guitars from a company that would actually care about how I wanted to play them. And they set up beautifully and the pickups actually sound really good. And I'm so impressed with these Wolf guitars. You know, I really should keep guitar nerding you because one thing I've always wanted to know, it's always fascinated me, is something about George Harrison. I know you know the answer to this exactly how did he get that trademark instantly recognizable george harrison slide guitar sound how did he get it what what are the elements of that sound well he like i (laughs) love a medium weight glass slide 
Okay. And Rye Cooter had tipped him off to raise the action and put on a heavier gauge string. Mm -hmm. He often played slide on his Strat, on his Rocky Strat, in fact, the one that mm -hmm. he had all painted for Magical Mystery Tour. Mm -hmm. And um, he used a medium weight glass slide and he often double tracked it and very often he put in harmony. So, you know, what we're hearing is his fantastic touch. I mean, what I've always loved about George Harrison was his touch on guitar. Yeah. You know, Tal Farlow or Johnny Smith or, you know, Chet Atkins, they had a beautiful, beautiful touch. Yes. People and go crazy getting the same guitar, the same slide, the same amp, the same pedal, the same effects, the uh -huh. same amplifier, the same pickups, all this sure. stuff. They completely miss indeed sense of touch. And that's everything because that's your attack. And for, you know, all it's worth, you know, we're playing a plucked instrument, you know, yeah. so to play legato is really the hardest thing. Yes, Not staccato and fast and sloppy, you know, so. Yes, yes. Obviously, the something solo, you know, it's just it's a it's a classic piece of um, contemporary art, really. But but the, the actual sound of it is so distinctive and so creamy. And I've never really heard anybody be able to get that particular. It's the thickness of the sound and the yeah. yeah. And and as for the touch, I, I heard an interview recently with George Harrison where he was saying, well, you know, I'm I'm not really that great of a guitar player because I never practice. And that's a terrible thing to tell students. I never practice. But <laughs> but he said, you know, I, I practice enough to play the things I need to play. Yeah. And he says, I think I'm quite good at what I do. But I'm but I'm not I'm not a you know a technically you know advanced guitar player. And I think that's actually a good thing to tell students because it's not about how technically advanced you are. It's about how you can teach yourself how to do what you need to do to express what you want to express. Yes. And, and of course, that's something that music schools, if I may say so, don't like that attitude because they're kind of in a machine that needs to produce certain results to get to certain places. Well, yeah, and it's changed over the years. I can remember some of my teachers saying that Berkeley was teaching folks how to be an all around great musician that could fit into almost any situation and not self express. And then certainly after the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, <laughs> we've been about self expression sort of since. Hmm. And I guess styles and opinions change, but what you're going to do with all this stuff, hmm. all these chords and notes and knowledge and ability is still my biggest question for all my students because exactly i want to know what are you going to make with all of this why are you learning all this what is the point what, what where is all this going not that they have to have a complete formatted goal in mind but just that there's some kind of passion and reason to be working and practicing and, and doing all this there's getting some yeah. kind of immense pleasure out of it because mm. It, to me, even just the frequencies are pleasure. You know, I can just hear one chord and float away. I'm just so excited yeah. about harmony and playing a chordal instrument. You know, like in in high school and junior high school, it was like, well, if you want to play guitar in the stage band, you have to be in the concert band. You have to be in marching band. So what are you going to play now? And so I picked up flute. <laughs> completely blew my mind at 15 years old that you needed three float flutes to make a chord. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, uh, you know, to me, 
the last 30 years or so where everybody wants to play lead guitar and not play chords is so disappointing because there's only a few instruments on the planet that can play polyphonically, you know? So why are you playing this monophonically? I I don't understand it. But beyond that, I kind of wanted to talk to you about what are you going to do with it to actually earn a living? And then there's the other thing of what are you going to do with it artistically? So I think there's always those two things, art and commerce are always balanced. I find it frightening to think of the (laughs) many thousands of guitar students and music students who are coming uh being belched out of different colleges and i i of course think berkeley holds a special place it's not just your ordinary music college but nevertheless all of these hundreds of thousands of students are coming out and because of what's happened to the business and because of what's happened to technology the chances of them actually earning a living are less and less and less so i I don't know how much you talk to your students about those types of things. Well, they don't ask, (laughs) which is interesting. And um, while they're there, that's not necessarily their question. And that's okay because there's certainly enough reason to play and to create music and to satisfy your artistic side that will completely align your mood and train your brain to be in a better place so that you're a better human being on the planet. Of course. And that alone will attract really good opportunities, whether it's in music or something else. Mm. But the thing I do try to say is don't necessarily put the pressure on your art to make a living because that really dampens things and really spins things off into headache land sometimes for folks because there are so many easier ways to actually make a lot of money you know you oh know. right yeah definitely so so why put that kind of pressure on your music your music could be something that you're doing on the side it could be do something that you do in conjunction with they're not intrinsic to each other they're not exclusive from each other it could do any way you want to create that life it, it's yes. going to be okay but you'll find your way everybody does I haven't done anywhere near as much teaching as you have. I've taught in a few actual <laughs> institutions, colleges and things, and I've done a lot of master classes and I've done a lot of private teaching. I found that when I teach in schools, I've been very, I've been a bit frustrated because every time I've been in a situation like that, I, I get complaints. You're asking us to do too much work. <laughs> now, when I was at Berkeley, which is, you know, back in the dark ages before you were born, I never heard anyone even breathe something like that. It, every student that I was there with, which was a pretty hip combination of students, I can tell you, mm-hmm. you know, they just said, give me more, give me more. What what else can I do? I, they couldn't get enough and I couldn't get enough. And I came at it from a very weird situation where I had had never had real music training before I went to Berkeley, which was, I couldn't read. I mean, I could just barely read. I knew where the notes were, but I had taken three months of guitar lessons from from some guy before I hit Berkeley. I'd been playing for a couple years and I'd grown up with music from my father. So they took me in and they said, okay, you have to we'll let you stay for the first semester, but if you don't get a B plus average, 
we're we're going to kick you out. <laughs> so I didn't mind that too much because I really wanted to work. And of course, I had an A average and they let me stay. Uh, so that was that. And and I, you know, the first year was really tough. I did nothing but memorize scales and arpeggios and chords and whatever. But after that, it clicked in and, and, and the teaching methods of Berkeley were so great. But why I'm talking about myself, I don't want to. But what I do want to talk to is that other colleges that I've been teaching at and other places, they've said, don't give them too much work and you can't fail anybody, you know, and which yeah. is which is crazy. And I said, how? but what if they're doing no work? Well, you, you know, they've got to pass because otherwise we lose students and we can't pay our bills. So that that kind of depressed me. So I, I, I must say I do prefer teaching privately because then you're talking to somebody and you know what they're what they're doing but do you feel amongst the students and you've been doing this for a long time that the hunger is still there the passion for the music is still there it depends on the person sure and and it's the luck of the draw i mean sometimes you get a semester full of very passionate students and and sometimes it's a mixture and uh the last couple of years, it's been very strange because folks weren't used to being back in circulation again. They were used to doing things on Zoom and really checking out and not really showing up or not really doing much work. And so right. it has right. been hard to sort of jumpstart their interests again. But uh, Berkeley's always been the college that, even when it was a family-owned business just starting off, uh, it yeah. prided themselves as taking anybody who had an interest and teaching them the correct way. To be a real right. and it's not just you're a guitar player it's you're a musician oh yeah and so uh i love that berkeley just teaches you the instrument whatever <laughs> instruments you're choosing and you can do anything you want with it exactly That's as i as i famously said to mr matheny in, in the book that i uh, wrote uh, uh, of interviews with him i made the point that his his sort of thing has always been that the guitar is an instrument like a fork and that you, you know, you use it in order to do something. Hmm. So, so a lot of people get wrapped up. He was saying a lot of people get wrapped up in the instrument itself mm -hmm. and, and the instrument starts controlling what you play, which yeah. is, you know, and what you just played is such a beautiful example of playing the music and making your instrument do that thing and figuring out the best way that that beautiful instrument can play the thing that you want it to play and i think a, a lot of people are kind of stunned by that that thing because they're very into you know that uh wanting to shred <laughs> uh, i think guitar can function in a band in so many different ways and uh Berkeley hasn't really embraced the singer songwriter way of playing a guitar and a lot of people out in the world think that if you are a singer songwriter then you don't play guitar well but that's not true either. Oh, it's so, so untrue I mean Paul Simon and James yeah. Taylor I have those two words to say to you. Yes and, and they're they're my uh, certainly very big influences for me. Yeah I mean those guys are I mean some of the best guitar playing you'll ever hear is, is listening yeah. to them play. Yeah. And the Beatles, of course, getting... Oh, of course, yes. Let's not forget them. Three guitar players in that band. <laughs> yes, exactly. And McCartney, I think, is another great example of the idea of it's only an instrument. Because no matter what he plays, it's he plays McCartney. Yes. He has that phenomenal uh, facility. And I, 
when I worked with him, I, that was something that was always so impressive to me about how instantly he could pick up any instrument and do something that was really remarkable. You know, <laughs> not just not just playing something, but really, how did he do that? Or what what is? Oh, that's an interesting way to go from that chord to that chord and I, I mean he just had that that naturally but it also you know he likes to say oh i'm completely uneducated i don't know what i'm doing i don't read music i don't you know that would slow me well the truth is that's not true because harmonically he knows exactly what he's doing and you know when he's i you know i worked with him for a year and he would say oh no we go to the g minor six there and he, he would be able to say that he doesn't want anybody to know that uh because it's kind of tarnishes the image of the, you know, the kind of genius thing. But but it's absolutely true. The reason he knows it is because the Beatles grew up playing their parents' music. When exactly. they wanted to be musicians, it was be an entertainer and it was play the music of the day. And mm. so they were playing music from the 40s, the 30s, the 20s, the 50s. You know, they were just playing all these songs that happened to be written by fantastic composers and lyricists exactly. that knew chords that had the biggest box of crayons, you know? Like yeah. when we were in grade school, we wanted the biggest box of crayons, not just a couple of primary colors, a couple of sure. power chords or something. So a lot of young people are afraid of those colors because they haven't heard them in their favorite band's music. People haven't been using them. People haven't even been using guitar in the last 30, 40 years very much in, in popular music. So that's been disappointing. I think you mean they haven't been using it in an original way. Yes, in, in, in arrangements or even standing out in the band. So people are thinking like guitar isn't important. We could just program a drum groove and throw a synth line in there and it's okay. But the, the thing I love most about Paul is his self-permission as an artist, as, as an experimenter, as a curiosity seeker, as a, I want to please myself and I want to hear the sounds I want to hear and I'm going to find a way to make them. And if I can't make them, I'm going to hire somebody who can. You right, know? And exactly. so we admire this self-permission in so many ways. Like when he takes to the stage and he's walking around carrying one of those flags of whatever country he's in, it's almost like he's a superhero. He's like the best of what human beings can aspire to because of that self-love and self-permission that some people get upset with him for like why doesn't he go away or why why is he still uh doing what he's doing it's like he loves it Absolutely. i love when he turns around and says what i'm gonna stop because of you, you know? yeah, exactly exactly <laughs> well even when he was 30 you know people were saying uh well you're a bit past it now don't you think and yet when the four of them came in 1964 the world wasn't about four young men in a band no, it wasn't. No. Car was on its way out. They were turned down by every major label twice. And older people with crew cuts ran the world. You know, right. they weren't accepting of these young guys. Ever mm. since the Beatles, every major label is like, where's the next four Beatles? Where's the next four Beatles? It's never a formula. It's never yeah. a, this is the reason it worked. I think the biggest thing that's happened since the Beatles wasn't even in music. I think it was the Harry Potter books. <laughs> well, that's a very fascinating concept, yes. And J.K. Rowling was a gigantic Beatles fan and she loved, loved, loved George Harrison. So there's something about that torch and that permission and that do your own thing your way that she also got from them. Yeah. So. And a lot of my students say to me, I, you know, I'm always urging them to 
you know, here are some ways to find your own voice. Here's here's something you can try. Here's something else you can try, you know, for people who haven't found their own voice. And of course, Pat Metheny's uh, edict is follow what you love. What music do you love most? Yes. Okay. And then ask yourself the question. I, t I tell my students to write it down. Write down exactly what it is you love about the music you love or about the songs that you love or the lyrics you love, which, you know, what is it about it? Don't just say, I love it. Say, why? Mm. You know, it's kind of like, you know, having a relationship. I, I, I want, I want some proof here that you love me. I don't want you just to say, I love you, <laughs> you know. Did you ever hear my uh, playing along with Pat's record? It's for you that, that uh, audition I had to do for him. No, I didn't. That's hysterical. It's on my YouTube channel. Well, that I'll listen to it. Yeah, well, Gary Burton was president of Berkeley at the time. Yes. And I'm walking through the guitar department in the 1140 building one day, and there's a sign on Larry Bale's <clears throat> door saying, Pat Metheny's going on tour, and he needs a rhythm guitarist. If you want to apply to audition, you know, you have to play along with one of these songs and, Man. you know, make it sound like the record. And I just Man. walked by it for a few days. and friends of mine were saying are you nuts you're not going to apply for this it's exactly. like you've got one of the best grooves in the business and i was like well i'm not a jazz musician so they're like he's not looking for someone to be him he's looking for someone to play a group behind him and you exactly. and you love playing exact voicings and doing exact record copies yeah 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 love that you know so i had met pat a couple of times before that at different uh, small jazz clubs in cambridge and then he came to talk to the guitar department. And because we had said hello prior to that, I went over to speak to him when a lot of the other faculty weren't even talking to him because they were like scared or something. <laughs> and he was telling me how much he loved the Beatles and that he had seen A Hard Day's Night 25 times. Did he yeah. ever tell that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we talked a lot about the Beatles. He wanted to be a Beatle. He loved George Harrison's playing. Mm. The stories in my video on my YouTube channel where I'm playing along with his record it's for you and trying to play the exact grooves and stuff right nice. I, I must look at that yeah the other interesting thing is that um, where education can encourage people to as you said many times explore try something different try mm -hmm. because I, I i fear that listening to music and i don't just mean uh, pop music or jazz music or singer songwriter music i find that there is a kind of homogenized conformity to a great deal of it my favorite thing to hear and probably yours too is when you hear something and you say wait what was that i haven't heard that before i love that experience that's my favorite experience and yet there's so little of it in, I mean, I search around the media. I, I listen to lots of YouTube channels. I listen to the radio. I listen to whatever's happening. And I don't hear that much that hits me in the forehead and says, wait, this is something, wow, this is, a, I've never heard anybody do that. Two things that I've liked recently over the years has been Snarky Puppy. Yeah. Uh, I just saw the play, the touring production of Hades Town, and the music in that has some beautiful melodies and exquisite harmony like mm. i couldn't believe those kinds of songs were being written for a play but it mm. turns out it was the singer songwriter anias mitchell <laughs> writing the songs and they made a play around her songs. so it explains why those melodies are so great but i'm right. so 
happy that young people were flipping out over this play because yeah. again, melody was coming back into focus. When people are saying something in an original way, they're not thinking up, how can I be original? How can no. I be different? How can I just take the world by storm? It's like your originality is already built into you. You already have your own DNA, your own fingerprints. Your own greatness is already there, like an acorn, you know, like you just have to let that blossom and let that turn into something good. And yeah. uh, even the Beatles weren't ever looking like we're going to really conquer the world. I mean, being oh, the top most it's a bit of a joke, you know, <laughs> it was yeah. just trying to cheer themselves up. But really, they just wanted the next rung on the ladder. I just want a better gig. I would just like a gig. I would like to just make a record. I hope we can get on that little tour. I hope we can get on that TV show, you know. Yeah. And it, just one step at a time. I didn't get a chance to study with Mick Goodrick, sadly, but I loved what he did with a lot of his students where the lesson would be, they'd go to the window and look, and he'd ask his student to just look out the window and tell, tell him what they were looking at and what <laughs> was interesting. And, and that, of course, was the key to them finding themselves. You know, one person might concentrate on a puppy going mm. by, and another person might concentrate on some, you know, attractive person going, but, you know, they have, or what a beautiful tree that is. So they, different people will be led to, and he'd say, well, that's what it is. Now play that. You know, it was funny. He was doing all this mentoring with all the different guitar teachers who were ever interested to study with him. Yes. Back in the mid nineties. Yes. He overheard me talking to another teacher saying, you know, I just worked with, Sandra Cott of the Boston Pops. And she came over to play violin on one of my songs and I had written down the melody, but I didn't put in any of the bowing. And when she sat down to play it, she said, well, how would you like me to phrase this? And she phrased it 14 different ways and each one yeah. had a different emotion. Absolutely. And my jaw was on the floor because if you yeah. put those notes and those rhythms in front of any guitarist, they'd be like, ding, 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 ding. That's the melody. Yeah. Really yeah. that's what's there and there yeah. was so much more there so he came over to me and tapped on my shoulder and he said i want to study with you and i was like oh god <laughs> well, oh, no. so we we worked on things for three semesters but you know what he would do even if i ever i'd ask him to like teach me things and all this stuff he'd say just play some more of your songs i love your voice and i just want to hear more of your songs and i just couldn't believe it. It's like come on this is mick goodrick there's a lot yeah. you could be teaching me right and he didn't want to do that and then when he's, you know, I said to him when I was playing some things live for him, you know, I never even took any composition classes when I was at Berkeley. I, I just sort of feel around the neck and I just can just tell that this note wants to go here and this one wants to go up and this one wants to go down. And I right. just, whether I'm in standard tuning or all the different alternate tunings that I write in, I just follow my emotion and write whatever I want to write. And he said, that's how you're supposed to write. You'll get a lot of laughs out of my new book which is i'm going to plug now which is adventures in jazz composition and in it again what i'm doing is i throw a lot of candy out there oh look you could get that oh look it's a puppy i'm trying to say to people yes of course there are kind of there's a theory of composition and there's you can you have to understand music theory and you have to understand the possibilities but every possibility has 14 other possibilities every kind of rule or every system has 12 other systems you could invent based on that because my whole system of composition is if you can do that well then why can't you do that 
<laughs> and then the second thing that you've invented, but then why can't you do that? And so that's that's my feeling about it. And I love that he said that because he's absolutely right. You don't study to be something else. You study to be yourself. Um, I wanted to also talk to you about what you feel are the pressures, therefore, on musicians who do want to earn a living when they're faced with the realities of what's happening in technology now and especially the fact that the main system of delivery of music is streaming where music is so rigidly codified and, and put into little boxes well a lot of us older folks do miss the product you know like it was really fun to save up a little bit of money and go get your new album and listen to it yes you know unceasingly for three months so that you knew that album inside and out you could read all the credits you knew all the players you knew who arranged it you knew who engineered it you knew who produced it i mean it was a big deal to have something physical from that artist and we had it for a little while with the cds and cassettes and things but to get it down to something so digital now where there's nothing physical to sell and nobody's making much money off the streaming that's that's sad uh as far as technology though i mean you look around you see i have a lot of recording toys and stuff i'm always fascinated with technology i've always loved playing with tape recorders and microphones since i'm 11 years old so i'm not against technology per se and i certainly wasn't one that would ever think i'd be using a computer so much even because in the early days the computer screens were kind of glaring and they would hurt my eyes and such, but that's become the tape recorder, you know, to use logic. Indeed. And now even just us talking, being able to do this while you're in California and I'm in Massachusetts. I mean, it's fascinating what technology has provided. So I feel like any really cool independent thinker and cool artist can find a way to use the technology to their advantage and create something wonderful with it that's unique to them. And it'll just be another tool. I don't think it's anything to fear. Well, I agree with you, and being just a couple of years older than you, uh, I <laughs> watched it go from, I mean, I started uh, as a professional in 75, and if you think about where technology was then, I mean, we were just in London, when I started in the studios there, a lot of the studios were still 16-track. I came out of Berkeley, sadly, knowing zero about recording studios, because I I had recorded in them, but I, you know, I didn't have time to take those courses. I wanted all the composition courses. There and, weren't many in those days either. Yeah, and you, I think you, there was a studio there, a yeah, small one. studio, <laughs> uh, one. So I didn't know what I was doing, but I had to learn by doing. And yeah. so every every time I worked in the studio, and I was uh, working in the studios very quickly after I got out of Berkeley. If I could just jump in there and just point out what's so cool about that for students today is a lot of folks just think all these faces that say, I don't know anything, I don't have to know anything, I don't really play, my band just plays, or I don't have to produce, or I don't really have to know anything about recording, or I don't really have to know anything about arranging, all that stuff. Somebody has to know. If you're really going to get your project off the ground, there's going to have to be somebody that you hire that knows. Absolutely. <laughs> And Absolutely. you need, you know, it's like when I audition <clears throat> bass players or something, and if a bass player says, oh, uh, it's a G major seven over E, <laughs> you know, or G major seven over B, is it okay if I play the low G? It's like, next, you know, like you just, you have to know, you know? Yes. 
And that was the whole point of my book, The Invisible Artist, to show how arrangers who know, they're the guys who know and the women who know, somebody's got to know the music itself. Somebody has to play the damn song. <laughs> and, and most people don't. Most artists don't. And this is another reason why I say I don't think it's a good idea when most artists produce themselves. Because you've got the opportunity to have somebody who you respect giving you their input yeah. and you know if it's a if it's a a a kind of a loving input if it's a kind of artistically um respectful input wow how great that is to have well someone uh, to help expand you and bring out the best not yeah. just you off you know into another ditch someplace you right know? and I, and i'm the guy who always says that's great but what if we did this and I let the artist hear it and they say, oh, yeah, that's better. Okay, let's do that. Yeah. And, and, and that's the big you, thing. And it wasn't just you putting in your two cents so that your name's on it or that it goes in the direction you want. It's actually something that really uh, lifts the song to a new, new musical. Level. And that's always the point. That's always the point, that's to lift yeah. the song and, and to clarify the intent of the artist. Well, you got to remember too, with the Beatles, they had a fantastic team around them. The oh, finest yeah. recording engineers, the best producer, and what made George Martin, Sir George Martin, such an amazing producer? He was a fantastic arranger. Exactly. That, Thank that you was very what much. Did yeah, and I loved your book. I, I took it out of the library, and uh, there was a, a couple of your other books I took out of the library. You, you make, you know, fantastic points. I don't know if people will always cherish the things that you and I cherish, but that doesn't matter either because your values and your musicality will always be something special to somebody, you know, and it doesn't matter if it is to everybody. Yeah. What's interesting about guitar though, is that guitarists and piano players are taught to be virtuosos. So you're always practicing and you can do your own thing. It's very self-contained, but drummers and bass players are always looking to play with each other and looking to play with other instruments. You know, so they come up with more socialization <laughs> in band situations more often. And yeah, that's a good point. I've never heard anybody mention that, but that's a really good point. If I had been surrounded by people who were producers and arrangers, I would have loved to have had company at a much earlier age. I do a heck of a lot more collaboration now and record for a lot of other artists and mix for them and such. But um, I've always enjoyed working as a team. It's just, I also knew starting to write songs at 10 years old that this was something I just stumbled on. And there were so many songs pouring out of me that I, I knew I should just learn how to play with the gear because this would be too expensive to have to go to a studio every time I want to hear something that's in my head. And mm. I could hear so many ideas. So I would just record tons and tons of guitar parts, you know, with cassette to cassette and then quarter inch reel to reel four track and then a half inch eight track. Sure. Yeah, eight yeah, yeah. And then the whole point was I need a dream machine to play all my ideas back and hear them at once. And uh, in those days, those things didn't exist. So oh. again, technology advancing caused all those things to become less and less expensive and more and more cool gear being possible for the consumer. Yes. Everything about technology that has developed and will develop way more. The one, the one aspect that I think has uh, made it more difficult for musicians to earn a living is the f 
the method of delivery. Because when the CD came in, I spoke to the head of EMI and I said, wait a minute, you are putting copy protection on them, aren't you? And they said, oh, no, it would take another six or eight months for that. We want to release it now. And I, I said, but he said, oh, nobody will be able to copy CDs. It's way too expensive. They, I mean, they'd have to go to a recording studio to do that. Don't be ridiculous. And I said, I'm telling you, I work in the studios every day. People will be copying CDs and they'll be worthless soon. Hmm. And he said, oh, well, you know, he says, that's, that's be, why you are a musician and I'm the head of this company. <laughs> but, so, but um, and, and six or eight months later, the uh, they found out. And I'm hoping that since live music is the only way that people can actually make any kind of a fee for playing music, that that will get larger. You know, there are more clubs and more cafes and more places where people can can play live. Because I know you were in you were in that Beatles group. Yeah, I've toured for years, probably good uh 17 years between two tribute bands one doing the beatles music from 1963 to 1970 and then found on the internet another band got in touch with me and i was doing uh the solo beatle years where there were 70 more number one hits and 700 more songs to learn that's right that's right (laughs) so you know great songs were really fun but i was always doing uh solo guitar and vocal kinds of gigs and uh-huh. um, early, early days, certainly tons of restaurant gigs and hotel lounge gigs, singing and playing right. live jukebox and such. It, okay, so here's my question. If you had to do a gig tomorrow night with a bass player, just, just a bass player and you, what guitar and what amp would you take with you? I'd probably <laughs> take a Strat and, and a little Fender amp, yeah. <laughs> which, which one? How well, the... I've been really liking this Princeton Reverb. Wow. Okay. I got a trade recently, so yeah, it's probably not going to need to be too big and too loud. And if it's a bigger place, they can always reinforce it in my case. Yeah. Do you have a super duper pedal board? I did. I got rid of all those things when I stopped touring with those bands. Um, there was all kinds of sound alike things and automatic uh, MIDI step on any pedal, change the sounds four times within one song kind of capability. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I was doing all the line six stuff because they yeah. did variaxes and the James Tyler variax was very helpful because you but what would you use tomorrow night I and mean, what would you take tomorrow night I would just probably bring a regular strat and I have a couple to choose from okay yeah so, yeah. so you've not not a lot of effects you wouldn't take much uh probably not um you know maybe a chorus you know if I'm just playing with a bass player I'm just accompanying myself so I wouldn't need all the different distortions and all those cool things but Mm-hmm. drives well people yeah. are loving that things are getting so much smaller now you know nobody wants to lug around the stuff so yes well i i hate to give them a, a plug but i i actually have been gigging with the spark 40. there you go dude have you have you tried that out no but for a oh. while i was using my little honer steinberger copy which looks like a little paddle it was this big and i'd travel yeah. on planes with that and then i'd use all the amp simulations from agile partners that was in my right. phone and plug okay. in the thingy and my phone was my preamp that's it and that's so exactly how the spark, that's how the spark works because i just take that and in in my phone i can get seven billion different sounds that's it you know yeah. so that's great for traveling for sure and i asked them is there any way that i could plug the 
that amp into another amp, why is there no output? And they said, oh, we don't want it to be used live. We don't what? want it to be used. I know, I thought that was crazy. Wow. I thought it was absolutely crazy. So I just put a mic in front of it, but if I have to. Tell me about what your new projects are. I just finished an album called Snowcake. It felt like it achieved some of the new recording techniques and things I've been learning from all the cool places. It's, I mean, that's the greatest thing about technology is in YouTube. <laughs> and yeah. all the things that you can learn and, and grow from and, and the friends you can make all around the world out there. Indeed. I would love it if you would sing us another song or play us another song or do whatever you want to do. Sure. Well, um, it was interesting, you know, speaking of Paul, Mr. McCartney, sir, <laughs> he <laughs> had enjoyed his trying to play box beret playing voicings in tenths and when he wrote blackbird yes he and george harrison loved that song but liked the doubleness of that arrangement because it's interesting to play on the guitar and wow. they only knew the tune so far so paul just said well i'll write my own you know and so he said why don't i find another way to accompany myself like that on an acoustic when he was working on his chaos and creation in the backyard album and for that album, he wrote a song called Jenny Wren. And when I heard that story that he wanted to revisit that accompaniment style, that's one of those kinds of things I do in my songwriting guitar lab. It's like we can get in from a variety of stories and lyrical aspects or a title that can spark off some thoughts for lyrics. But the guitar itself can offer all these starting off places. And this voicings intense idea was really appealing to me. So I thought, why don't I play with a lot of those shapes? You know, you have all those. just put your fingers anywhere and find all these shapes, right? So I came up with uh, a progression I really loved and I uh, wanted it to be a, a lullaby for my niece who was one years old at the time. Her name is Bella, so I called it Bellaby. So this, nice. this is Bellaby with all the voicings and tenths, thanks to Sir Paul.
by When you call my name yeah. Very nice, very nice, very beautiful. And you have an unusual little chord up there. Uh, I can't remember what it was, but you have a, a beautifully slightly unexpected chord that when you get up high and yeah. it's just great and i think that makes the song very special well, i think that's what's so cool you know there's a woman named susan g woldridge who wrote a book called poem crazy and another one called fool's gold and she encourages people to play with words like they're blocks like you can move them around in the sentence and put things all over the place and mm -hmm. meaning will take care of itself because that's what human beings do we make sense out of chaos Yes, so it's the same with chords and shapes. I mean, I always telling my kids, you know, you can put your fingers anywhere and make up chords. So you think you're making up chords, but you're literally coming up with things that make sense because you're part of the fabric of life and you've heard music your entire life. You're going to do things that you've heard and you're going to yes. do things that you like. And the chord meaning will even take care of itself. And I love when I go to write these things down, it's like, wow, there's a minor six in there. Wow, there's some augmented chords. Oh my goodness, look, I put a diminished thing in there. You know, yeah. it's, it's so interesting to me because my sensibilities and growing up in the seventies heard a lot of fantastic music from Chicago and Stevie Wonder and yes, sure. and, uh, you know, the Allman Brothers and the Beatles and right. James Taylor and all these fantastic composers, Carly Simon, you know, fantastic writers and not shy of using any of the millions of chords. I mean, you could just Google the chords the Beatles used and see everything that people shy away from and think are jazz chords. I'm not yeah. gonna play it because it's a jazz chord. It's like, <laughs> you're missing out on some yeah. really rich information. It's like tasty food, you know, like really good tasty food, not just bland yeah. stuff. Play with the well, chords. Yes, and, and we put labels on things in order to tame them in order to make them something that we can understand but we don't need to put labels on things i mean fusion i've always said is creativity because mm. when you put peanut butter together with jelly it's a different thing <laughs> you know, so so therefore any kind of fusion can work if you have a story to tell if you have a point to make and uh, and I think that's that's a really really important concept for people to take on board and how would you uh, train people to just listen to the song and play the song because I've had a couple of people recently say to me well what style is this I don't know how to accompany you what style is this like if it isn't jazz if it isn't pop if it isn't latin if it isn't like they don't know exactly. they don't know what to play and i heard uh, jeff lynn say it best recently in one of his specials that was on the bbc that i just recently saw and he said i like pop music because it's all the styles and i thought that's perfect that's perfect that's right. you know yeah. like maybe that's why a lot of my music is a combination of styles because it's it is pop true. rock you know, I thought there was a really great definition of it. Yes, it's very good. React to the song, play something that fits the song. Exactly. And as a professional arranger for all these years, one of the, my jobs has always been to come into a musical situation which is already to a certain extent composed. Mm -hmm. And then they say, what do you think? What does it need? And so I have to identify because I can put those labels on say, okay, what, what he's done there is X and what he's done there is Y, what he's done there is 
you know, whatever, but I need to identify it. And then I need to say, well, here, this is the thing that I would do with it. Mm. You know, and it's either additive or subtractive. Sometimes I say, take, take that away because it's cluttering up this, you know, and this, this instrument here is getting in the way of the voice. So why do you have it there? Yeah. You know, that's not good. You know, so I do this a lot with backing vocals. You know, people think that they, but I don't like anything that distracts from the lead vocal. I just don't. Mm-hmm. Like it. And, it, and, and historically, it's never been successful to have things that distract from the lead vocal. Yeah. So I, I definitely do that. And, but I mean, that's my job. And that, so it's a combination of people coming up with things intuitively and then helping them with intellect, the joining of the intellect say hey mr intellect here meet miss creativity and now you can get together and that's that's the fun part of it for me one of the things i like about uh writing songs that uh was interesting about bellaby too was that uh you have a choice when you go to write a melody is your melody going to follow the top notes of your chords and the voicing the voice leading or is it going to go something contrary and it was right. fun that, that one stayed with it you know? yes yes well lauren passarelli this is your life no i mean it's been <laughs> well, so know. great to have you it's- Radio Richard! Yeah.